0: Answers can include "Kissing Booth 3. in honor of "Kissing Booth 2, What Netflix movie deserves a sequel? I'm going to go with Matt Pat. I'm going to go with Matt Patches. <laughs> I'm really
1: off to the uh, wrong, uh, on the wrong foot here. I am Matt Patches, and I am going to say um, Sandy Wexler, but make it a uh, fucking uncut gems.
0: Hey, it's me, David. the Seven. Uh, they have the power to make a new Cloverfield movie, and if I wanted <laughs> to see one of their properties return, I've already sunk so much time into the Cloverfield movie universe. Why not toss another one on there?
2: I'm David Ehrlich. I think the Cloverfield sequel that Dave was proposing would have to open with a God with the Wind-style uh, educational segment, apologizing for the previous films that will... Cloverfield Paradox, anyway, uh, and maybe just striking it from the record. I mean, actually, if there's one film that we can actually just uh, make no longer exist, as much as I oppose that for most art, I would probably start with the Cloverfield Paradox. I'm still so mad about how the entire thing came together, even though I think Elizabeth Debicki is in it, and I love her. Mm-hmm. Isn't she in that? Oh, yeah, son. yeah. Is that there's around? a pretty creepy
0: uh, sequence of an arm that crawls down a hallway by itself sure
2: sure sure terrible film um but of course my answer uh, is the irishman because i just felt that there was just so much more story to tell at the end of that
0: movie. gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room fine i can hear you now dimitri clear and plain and coming through fine i'm coming through fine too eh Good, then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and
1: welcome to another episode of Fighting in the War Room, episode 310. This is Pandemic 20 for the week of Wednesday, July 29, 2020. And on that day, in 1954, was the publication of a little book known as Fellowship of the Ring, the first volume of Lord of the Rings by Jur Tolkien, published by George Allen and Unwin in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, did the book ever go anywhere? Nope. We never
0: heard from it again. That was a- and of course, the
2: only us. the only worthwhile adaptation of uh, that story or its author was the Nicholas Holt biopic, Tolkien, um, which... Uh, Really suggest that there that was, was on the podcast? there was room there, I think, for um, a fuller cinematic fleshing out of what Tolkien was doing. But I guess we'll never live to see it. Uh, I don't recall. I don't recall uh, anything about that movie. I know that I reviewed it, but I think in a feud state <laughs> where every word that you know flowed into the, my fingers uh, disappeared from my head in real time. Um,
1: but with his eyes glow with fire.
2: I want to say that Lily. I think Lily Collins is in that, and I remember her being quite good. I don't think that Nicholas Holt was bad in it. It's just, that's just a nothing of a movie.
1: Speaking of nothings of a movie, <laughs> David, do we have any reviews this week? Uh, thank
2: you. For oh, the wait, God. we should
1: also say K- Katie's not here. Katie, if you haven't, t- <laughs> couldn't tell. Katie is, is, she's gone. She just ditched. She's living life. She's going on vacation. And David, you're going on vacation soon. Everyone's going on vacation. I, I am. Uh, I am going on vacation. <laughs> Are you going to miss vacation. the podcast, or should we commit you to it now? On, I, air- you
2: know, I, I think uh, unlike Katie, who uh, clearly is ready to shirk her responsibilities at a the slightest the slightest <laughs> opportunity, uh, I'm going on vacation for two whole weeks because otherwise, I think uh, my what's left of my. Uh, Psyche would collapse. Um, but I will probably do the podcast for the second week of the vacation.
1: Hey. Um the first one It'll will be. be out of so Fresh Faced. Well, there'll be lots of movies like to that. talk about then.
2: Okay. Oh, <laughs> um, but uh yes, to go back to your god awful segue, we do have uh <laughs> five, I believe, five reviews, all of them no four, four. four. As I said about the the psyche degradating. Uh, I can count to four. We have four, they're all short. Let's do it. Wild Pretty Things says, pandemic pop perspective, loving the alliteration Wild Pretty Things. I have long been a fan and regular listener of Fighting in the War Room in spite of David early However, he has recently become one of my favorite podcast hosts. From calling out the U.S. for barreling towards hyper-fatal herd immunity to ranting about those obsessed with letterbox as a precise quantification of one's film knowledge, film knowledge has been capitalized, David has earned a place along with Dave Seven and Katie in the dusty heart of this probably depressed podcast binger, uh, Matt Patches passively, but aggressively <laughs>
1: erased uh, review. Very I don't well. take that as aggressive. I assume there'll be more aggression. That would be my guess. But uh, I don't know. I, I think Wild Pretty aggressive. Things
2: is a person who operates with great intention. Uh, I see the way they capitalize film knowledge. Um, I just I think...
1: But negative space can be beautiful as well.
2: It's true. Um <laughs> Let's see, Lateralis12501, one of our uh, many Tool fans, mm-hmm. says, "Classic. <laughs> this is my favorite podcast because it balances mainstream and niche cinema and also Tool. And the hosts are knowledgeable and have distinct but complementary tastes. It's evident that the hosts are great friends and it really comes across in the recordings. We've all heard podcasts, but the hosts just don't have that chemistry yet. So we can all be grateful for this pod. Yes. Sidebar. After 10 years, we're almost cracking that code. I'm curious <laughs> to see the David's annual top 25 video in light of the pandemic and his newfound familial duties. Oh boy. That's a big question mark for, re, for me right now. Like,
1: really? You have no, no cemented level. answers on that?
2: You're not sure. I, I don't. I, uh, I have to say, I just don't feel the spirit this year so far. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, you're going to send everybody to a yet. Vimeo
0: link and being like, this has been the hardest countdown of my life, and it's going to be a montage of your son set to, like, <laughs> the best music of the year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think... I always thought to myself that when I had a kid, that would be when I started making them just because of, of time reasons, and my whole schedule, all of our schedules is so wonky and uh, atypical right now because of the pandemic. Uh, I do have less time than I would otherwise, but... Um, I could probably make a project like that work if I really applied myself to it due to a lack of any other social life right now. Uh, but yeah, I just feel like very disconnected from the movies right now. I've very few things that um, are really making me want to dive into my passion for them for hours upon hours on end every night for months. Uh, but hopefully that will change when the Toronto Film Festival and Venice and Fantasia and all those things get underway um, and we have access to more movies uh, but there's still a little bit more or less left in this review, so let's do it. The only problem with David – great. Picking up right where, right, right where I wanted to. Deep breath. Uh, is. Oh, no, sorry. Let's go back to a compliment. He was talking about those videos, and he says, those are always a highlight. We all enjoy them thoroughly. Thank you. The only yeah. problem with David is his love of the New York Rangers. I guess the pandemic spared David of seeing them lose to my beloved Boston Bruins. Anyway, keep up the great podcast. Uh, I will say um, – Was hockey canceled? Hockey is not canceled. Hockey is imminently returning. Uh, we are oh, recording this
1: on The, Monday apocalypse, is the apocalypse is canceled. The apocalypse is canceled. Right. Hockey
2: is back. We always uh, record this right at the same time that both of the best television shows on TV are airing. Of course, those are I May Destroy You and Below Deck Mediterranean, uh, neither of which I get to watch as they air. Uh, but um, later this week, 20 48 hours from now, the Rangers will be playing in an exhibition game against the Islanders. Then this weekend, they will start their... Playoff pre play-in uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes. And if they win that 3-5 series, they will be in Lord Stanley Cup's playoffs in 2020. And who knows? If they advance far enough, they may even have the honor of getting destroyed by the Boston Bruins, who are a or not who are probably going to win the Cup. But I desperately need them to win, now more than ever, because I need, I need, I need this distraction in my life. I need hockey in general, but Rangers hockey. Most of all, I cannot wait. Let's move on. Seth Charles says... Let's talk about Matt Patch's Let's. Hello there. I've already left a review. It was the one where I made David read the entirety of Willem Dafoe's speech from the Lighthouse, but then was undercut when he critica- criticized my spelling of recommend. And I Damn. wanted to... Who could forget? And I wanted to write again as a response to Matt Patch's blasé treatment of wearing masks on his walks. so drag him. I live in the hot zone <laughs> that is Los Angeles, and on my runs, I will wear a mask. Thank you, Seth Charles. I feel like so many That's jobs... Good are deciding that because they're moving so sprightly fast. They're so quick. I I find that confusing,
1: too, because, like, the logic is anything coming out of your mouth. The breathing is what is causing problems. So, like, if you're running, you're just heaving back and forth. It's true. We all know the Los
0: Angeles tradition of blowing raspberries to people as you pass them while jogging.
1: I just heard something horrific about Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) What a terrible place.
2: Hello. It does seem
1: bad. They should be like
2: a whole season of Perry Mason about this. Someone <laughs> fucking murders someone. deploying blowing them on raspberries they run by. And no one wants to press charges. Anyway, Seth Charles lives in the hot zone that is Los Angeles. And on my runs, humble yes. brag that you're running, uh, I will wear a mask. And then if no one is near me within 10 feet, I will pull it down to breathe for a few seconds. I see so many seemingly responsible people, so many seemingly responsible people, going on runs without masks. And it's like they don't understand that they can still spread the virus. So, Mr. Patches. I implore you to at least bring a mask on your walks and encourage everyone yeah. to do the same. Use your megaphone for good. You are a co-host of the single most popular podcast <laughs> on iTunes, the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> That's true. Of uh, the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, before 10.
1: we get our $100 million Spotify deal, I should yeah. kind well, of I got my, kind mainstream that, my comments. Did policy. you
2: guys not get your cut of that? We'll really? talk about it off check.
1: Um, I got, I'm still I got on the Disney, I'm still on the Disney, uh, payroll. So we're still waiting, waiting for, for nice our, uh, Pluto
2: TV endorsement and like, Talenti. <laughs> I, I, am still scouring every, every, uh, pint of Talenti in Brooklyn. I currently have four left over. There was a real tragedy when our fridge stopped working last week and they all melted. <laughs> it was a real Wizard of Oz shit. Uh, but we're back in business for now. Anyway, Seth Charles rants over. Keep up the good work. The great work even. Seth from LA. Thank you, Seth, for being responsible and preaching. A good yeah. word. Uh, finally. Let, me
1: ju- let me just say one thing in response yeah. to, to Seth's uh, review. I, I I hear you, Seth, and I've, I heard from a few people this week. Actually, not too He's many. Dave got sucked followers. into most of them. <laughs> well, I, I, I just want to say that what's interesting about this whole conversation is that the people I've talked to, too, were like 99% all on the same page. Um, and I think in this very difficult time... Um, it's better to just have the macro point of view than attempt to have nuanced conversations about this, depending on where we all live. Uh, the macro message being wear your mask, wherever you go, wherever you go, wear your mask, uh, have a mask on you. If you go out where people are, it's, it's important. This to is going to be a I great think.
2: segue to a review from our no, friend, no, i,
1: I, I uh, for lost I, uh, I, I spoiled myself for this review, but I... Oh, yeah, that's too bad. This, this was a good response.
2: Uh, Bro- Robert Frost, uh, a classic fighting in the war, mm-hmm. correspondent, um, and uh, one of our favorite living poets, uh, says, My name is Matt Patches, and I love poo. I love it when a nice little piece of poo comes out my butt and into my hand. And then I put a little pee-pee on the poo, and I put the poo into a poo bag for my poo collection. It's the only thing I own, and it's the only thing I value yum 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 i love to eat the poo and then poop the poo into my left hand this is taking a very miranda july like turn don't, inter- don't interrupt don't interrupt this I, this,
1: this is beautiful on its own it's true it's true
2: i hate to interrupt these perfect stanzas pp poo poo pp <laughs> poo poo. penis vagina 9 11 9 11 john Kerry is my favorite politician that was like a mega-sized haiku you just I, tripled the uh, syllable count for every line. Wait, 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 I hope wait! That this
1: person knows. I hope that this person yeah. knows from listening to the show for however long they have that this is my favorite thing, and <laughs> I'm so glad that they wrote it because it make, it brings me lots of joy to read the word
0: poo-poo a lot. The, is, is the title "Mat Patches" has a shit together?
1: Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. that pl- would be that. Oh, that's almost
1: too I, clever. I'm plusing for Robert fur.
2: Actually, you know, and
1: yeah, my gratitude
2: goes out to Robert Foss. The title of his review, their review, Thon's review, is "Greatest Podcast.
1: <laughs> Five. Stars. Did you just make an so. ant kind? Reference just then? I did, it. I did it indeed. Jesus. <laughs> I Don't do that on the uh, Only Guys on the podcast episode. It's bad <laughs> enough.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I think the Only Guys podcast full stop is bad enough, let alone anything that we have to say on it. Yeah, we that's all what I'm saying. We all miss Katie Rich. We all are happy that you left us the reviews that you did. Uh, please go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll clearly... Read it on the show, no matter what you happen to say. Um, we love hearing from you. All right. Don't,
1: now, don't on carry. to guy stuff.
2: Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Poopie dee scoop. Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop dee poop. Poop dee scoop dee scoop dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop whoop Poop-dee-dee-whoop. poop. Poop dee dee whoop scoop. Poop. Poop. Scoop dee dee whoop.
0: Poop scoop. Yeah. Whoop dee poop the scoop. Whoop did poop to no, scoop. No, no.
1: Time to talk Bring about it back, guy stuff. Wait, I mean, guy actually,
2: Ka- Kanye. Is- <laughs> guy stuff and Kanye are uh, two very uh, paradoxical leads to <laughs> the <separate. laughs> <It
0: is>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're talking, of course, about Taylor Swift
1: <laughs> <laughs> and a personal album that she's released during quarantine. Man, um, that brought
2: out all, her- our, all of our inner men.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so oh, can hopefully. I, can I actually, yeah. actually
2: on this score, on this score, a, a little theory that I was workshopping, uh, during a FaceTime call I had with a friend yesterday is that Taylor Swift, who at some point okay. in the last five or six years, went from being someone whose music I unironically, but only casually appreciated to someone of whom I am now a genuine fan, uh, and regularly listen to. Um, and that documentary that she was in at sundance that i that i thought was really tremendous it was certainly galvanizing but I, even before that i was really coming out to Taylor Swift.
1: i mean back. that wasn't that long ago that, that wasn't was that long i mean it feels all long 5 months. months ago <laughs> yeah. i mean i i definitely
2: came on the bandwagon around 1989 um when it was a little like so many did like so many did but then um yeah as it went on i think every album you didn't staying, like that video the with the goat he,
1: what did you think of that video? Is that is that I don't know. I have if a hardly of of for music videos, but I do. Well, have this is a music opinions. video. It's a, it's a music video of a goat um, sure. chiming in on one of her songs. Oh yes, like, I have seen and that, and it, it's a masterpiece, of course. But now um, it, is, it does seem like but, a masterpiece. But now, in <laughs> retrospect, seems a little cruel. But
2: I uh, I I have very strong opinions about the songs. She chose for singles, but that's not the road you were going down. Um, obviously, no. that that conversation is kind of negated by the way that folklore, her latest surprise in rainbow style album, was released last week. What a gift to us who are all cooped up in our homes fighting the good fight. Um, but, uh, I was, was sort of workshopping this idea with a friend the other day. I didn't get very far that Taylor Swift of all people. And obviously a lot of this thinking stems from the fact that her latest album is a collaboration with Aaron Dessner of the National and sounds exactly like you think a very, uh, a Taylor Swift album co-written with one of the brains behind the National would sound like. Uh, maybe even more so than you might think, um, despite the Jack Antonoff produced tracks that are in there as well. Um, and William Bowery ones, of course. And I'm increasingly convinced that William Bowery is not Joe Alwyn, but, uh, one of Taylor Swift's own pseudonyms, um, is, uh, and Taylor Swift has sort of been my, my Sherpa, if you will, <laughs> a, a musical signpost in my transition to dadhood. It, Taylor Swift who writes songs about being 22 and previously about being 15 in a phase of her career that I can't quite relate to anymore. Um, of all people, I think has her music has and the way that I've related to it has been very much the, uh, the uh, click track for my transition into being a dad. Um, the national have always been there for me. I was big into the national when I was in my twenties and looking forward into the future, impending dadhood that awaited away. Um, but I, there's something about Taylor Swift's music and the, the angle at which I've come at it uh, in a very sort of do- dorky um, I should be too old for this, but she's sort of meeting me at my level by making music that is increasingly geared for white Brooklynite fathers like me um, who are in their mid-30s. Uh, and uh, it's, it's it's
1: the it's most been, damning review of all.
2: No, it's been nice <laughs> to have uh, without taking away from her you know unquantifiably massive young female fan base it has been very peculiar to see you know me sort of get swept up in that whole thing and then her to sort of as i said meet me uh where where i am in my life Uh, and folklore is obviously the culmination of that um and uh yeah it's great i love it what a bomb
1: (laughs) yeah it's a really different type of album for her i wasn't expecting it well well literally was not expecting it It came out of the blue it got really announced and then released 24 hours later i wasn't expecting it Maybe especially after the uh, Miss Americana documentary that we saw at Sundance and on on Netflix, which I did not care for as much as you did, David. But for me, struck me as like someone who's really preserving image and, and mythologizing in her own world, which her music has always done. You know, she's known for like, hey, here's a bad breakup or here's a friendship or here's a romance from my life and people follow along. Uh, in the kind of celebrity narrative, and I'm going to weave that into the song that will ebb and flow with my c- celebrity personality. And it comes through a lot in the movie too, which I think is, is again, self-mythologizing. Um, but the songs that she's writing in that, that documentary feel like she's trying to come up with another great pop album. And what's interesting about folklore for me is that I still think there's a, I mean, it's a very personal album again. And she has come out and said what she usually does, which is like, she loves Easter eggs. I remember uh, two albums ago, or for Reputation, I think was the album, where she went on EW and was like, breaking down Easter eggs <laughs> she, like it's fucking a Marvel movie or something.
0: You know,
2: she, she, her fans are essentially like listening to her the way that Dave watches Westworld. Yes. I mean, they're <laughs> exactly. are t- decoding t- it for clues left and right. Because the she tells story, them to, right?
1: It, yeah, well, she, Westworld is the right comparison because at least the creators of Westworld are like, we're packing this full of mysteries and clues. Yeah, but to solve, go un-
2: unlike Westworld, there is actual meat on the bone. here. There's actual content beyond the yeah. uh, maze of chasing your, your own.
1: Tail. But I think what's interesting about folklore is that it's it's been the, – the albums have always been full of Easter eggs and maybe we can decode this and learn something about Taylor. And here is an album that seems like she wants to be – Telling stories, it's more, uh, more fiction, but still wrapping wrapping around autobiography, or or you know, the song that she wrote about the person who used to own her mansion. Um, it's a great song. the history yeah, of that American like, dynasty. Love it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a good song, and and it, but it's telling a story. I think folklore, it's you get what you you get from the title, which is like here's someone at a piano telling you stories, or like around the campfire almost. I I really the sound of it. Threw me off, and I'm taking a while to get used to that. And maybe I'll continue to listen to it. I think in a um in a vulture article that someone uh, an interview they did with Aaron Dester he breaks down every song, and that I found really enjoyable. Uh, maybe that's a weird way to listen Rookie to move an album to where not
2: be listening to or not be reading that album right now. Right? I got. I can't even fucking speak. Where's that vacation? Rookie move to not be reading that article literally right now. <laughs> well, but I on. do. Uh,
1: I, I have it in front of me, um, but. In that in that article, they call it a, like a headphone album. And I never really thought about it that way because I, I don't go to see concerts and I don't go to giants. I've never been to a stadium concert where the best place to see Taylor Swift like blow the roof off the place and do these gigantic concerts and shows that she puts on uh, with the razzle dazzle. And this is the complete opposite. This is like her at the piano, which she loves to do and she'll do at her shows too. You see that it's, in Miss America. And it's also right an This album is like, that she this is wouldn't. intimate. Yeah, it's
2: writing an album that she wouldn't necessarily have to tour for, right? Because it means all right. of the, her
1: album cycles all build up. And they were literally and writing and the songs tours. in May. Like, this really yeah, is a quarantine album. It's cool. Yes.
2: Everything that you hear here was, uh, was written after. Here, here. Uh, here, here. It was that after the release of Lover, after they shot their Taylor Swift documentary. Um, but. You know, as you were saying, it's it's a real switch for her in a way that I think was hard for a lot of people who really weren't so interested in getting this right on the internet to track. Uh, about throwing her, her voice to other characters. I mean, she's known for these autobiographical songs. And, um, of course, you know, trying to figure out which boyfriend or ex-boyfriend she's writing about, uh, has been an old sport for her fans and, uh, you know, the culture. Still seems to apply here
1: if the, uh, the breakdowns of Betty have any, uh.
2: Sure. Scenario. But I think, you know, this is an album that is explicitly about, um, you know, trying to throw her voice to other characters by, um, being sort of bigger than her own legend, if you will. And then talking beyond that, I mean, I saw people sort of poking fun at the idea of her singing about taking buses and more quotidian experiences that we know Taylor Swift hasn't had bus. in a while. Um, but I think that uh, part of her appeal has always been, despite her you know, almost peerless fame in, in the music world right now, uh, able to speak lucidly in a way that regular people around the world can connect to. Um, and even when she's singing about buying uh, Rebecca Harkness's mansion in Rhode Island, which is now one of her several different related. houses.
1: Uh, you know, Is that where song she that, hung out with Tom Hiddleston that one time when the It may well be. I think they were. All all well I, think they were I actually don't know. I mean, sure, why not?
2: But, uh, all I remember is the shirt. But, um, yes. that, you know, and it's a song that ends with her inserting herself into the lyrics and saying that now she bought that house and owns it and, and so forth. I mean, like, that is about as unrelatable as, uh, songwriting could possibly get. And yet you know, there's everything else about that song. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that allows you to go along with it uh, is is really sort of uh, relatable and, and textured, and you can
1: you, you Dave, understand. Dave, the, what do you the, what the, do you the think it of uh, does sound like folklore?
0: It's aggressively fine.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> just a hammer drop there after after Dave. No, I
0: don't disagree with anything that either of, of you guys. Just said. don't tell the stands. I'm just I'm not I'm not impressed by it because this isn't the arc. Even Smash Mouth apparently I just
1: hate this album. Has yeah. Smash Mouth come out? Oh, Smash Mouth title? is against it. Oh yeah, Smash Mouth is definitely against folklore. And That's then, gonna hurt. Um, sales. Dylan O'Brien from the team no. from the Maze Runner series fired back at Smash Mouth. Oh, okay, oh. drama Okay, uh, Dylan, I, I,
0: Dylan
1: I, O'Brien is on the side of Dylan O'Brien uh, is uh, is on Taylor's side.
0: Yeah, I don't <laughs> dislike any of the songs. I have trouble telling them apart. If I were to like yes. put them on shuffle <laughs> and. You know, what listen to it out of order, which a I tried doing I think once.
2: We'll take care of
0: that. But sure. But done. that's a lot of latitude for something that I think is just like, eh, fine. Like where I was on Taylor Swift in the first place was I was even when we were back uh living in the days where you would do albums, I never like got into an entire Taylor Swift album. I liked uh Red and I liked nineteen eighty nine. Uh, like as listen throughs, but what you really like about those are the singles of them and how they sort of like permeated and now everywhere and now part of life. It's going to be harder for this to happen because in the like arc of a pop star, when they take their, you know, unplugged, uh, let's hire somebody to do orchestration, uh, rather than production turn, uh, you guys are right in pointing out that this is an album that she doesn't necessarily have to tour on because these aren't going to be, you're not going to be at a party making memories and someone turns on uh, the last great American. This is
2: not a a party. This is a song. This is an album for driving around suburbia in your jetta with the blue lights on the dashboard and making out with girls in the driveways or, uh, or so I, I would got imagine. Driveways.
1: I can see that. It's just, w- too, it's not slow this. for that, right? It's not No, like not at all. Out. I mean, as,
2: as someone who, I mean, I... I Listen, uh, you cat play, power I mean, for me is on also, another level, but this is uh, it's a is little too com-
0: it's a little too complex for that. Like, do you want rest. do you want this on trying to make out with somebody with like Taylor Swift lyrics over this Probably like not. low? Again,
2: like the state, the fairness sp- of like a cat power of a Moonpix of uh, you are free is lends itself to that a little bit more. But this is not a party album. But I think what I find most interesting about it, relative to what Dave was saying, is that an artist of Taylor Swift's size and renown was able to find permission in the pandemic to make music that she probably wouldn't have felt free to make uh, re- regardless of her you know agency and the fact that you know she has the ability to do, Essentially, what she wants um but i do feel like this the strange circumstances gave her the push and the permission that she needed to record the kind of music that isn't going to get Although, which is fine but that's play, that's
0: yeah. her pop narrative her pop narrative is i'm a person who like sat down with a guitar and wrote songs in my notebook and then i became a country star and oh i just keep getting other chances to try other genres and like don't blame me if it doesn't work out like it's it's me, Taylor Swift. I'm still going to come back and be the girl who writes the the notebook thing. So it's like, she could have done this at any point that she wanted to. The fact that the narrative is, oh, now she's like allowed to, means that her no. marketing worked?
2: No. I, I, I <laughs> don't subscribe to that cynical viewpoint. I also think one of the main takeaways from the documentary is that she didn't feel allowed to do so many of this, these different things, and and uh, Patches might say that I was too done in by the, the messaging of that film, but I do well, you said think... It. That right, I was short, that. I, I'm, I'm sparing you having to do that, but I think so much of what was effective <laughs> to me about that movie was how it, it projected the, this, regardless of her fame and acclaim and the number of albums sold, she still felt the pressure to be successful every step of the way and to not alienate any percentage of her fan base. And then finally had this breakthrough where she took it upon herself to be political, regardless of the risk that it might pose to her career and the hate that it would inevitably send her way. And the music that she's recorded on this album is a natural outgrowth of that attitude. It's fearless, not in the fact that you you were talking about like performances being brave and and so forth. Um, The music is not exactly experimental. It's very gentle and pleasant. Um, and, you know, could be put in the background, maybe not while you're trying to make out with somebody in the front of your car, but in general, but it is, uh, I think a real risk for her in that it potentially alienates some of the people that she likes. And part of that is because of the tempo and the, the size of the music. Part of it is, you know, gravitating more to the arena of mid 30 something girl dads. Um, but I think doing so in a way that really beautifully threads the needle between but, uh, what her, but also there's no narrative
1: for. Around the album, I think one of the things with Miss Americana and the message was like, I write these songs and she writes them with Jack Antonoff and other producers. But she's always coming in and that movie really pounds away the message that, as Dave mentioned, has always been part of it. Like, I write the songs, I write the songs and I do. She does write the songs. She is a really gifted songwriter. What I think is interesting here is because there's been no time to create that machine, that narrative that you have uh, interviews like this Aaron Dessner interview on Vulture that really pulls back the curtain on the whole process. Some of the songs start with Taylor going to him or going to Jack Antonoff and and talking about lyrics or a narrative idea and building it out from there. Or some of them start with Aaron Dessner like wrote this tune six months ago and was like, "Hey, I got a pile of stuff. Are you responding to any of this?" And then she kind of fills in the blanks. I think that's really there's more collaboration apparent in this album than in the past, and maybe that has more to do with the spin and how you build up to a, a record release i'm less familiar with that process than say like a movie marketing plan but um here that's pretty refreshing to get to read like frank interviews about the songwriting process of this quarantine album than like the, the juggernaut spin of when taylor needs to put out a new album or something so, uh, uh, I do I, i'm, I'm really interested in the process of this album too. i it's do fun. think it's
2: cool that you know an album's release was so modeled after rainbows Uh, the music of it was itself influenced by In Rainbows, at least according to Aaron Dester in this interview. He talks about a lot of the overlapping, threaded sounds in something like The Last Great American Dynasty, going back to like Weird Fishes from uh, that Radiohead album. It's a cool little bit of poetry. Uh, This is a good album. I've really enjoyed listening to it. Uh, I've been listening to it on my walks around town with Asa. Uh, I'm taking a break from my constant diet of podcasts. It has held my attention like a few other albums that have come out this summer. Uh, we stand Taylor Swift it's it's weird when th- something that popular is also good but it happens from time to time
0: fine that's good good eesh, fine eesh,
2: eesh. she's becoming an interesting artist what can you do
0: bye Taylor Swift do scoop scoop dee whoop whoop dee scoop dee poop poop dee scoop dee scoop dee whoop whoop
2: dee scoop whoop poop poop dee whoop scoop Poop!
0: Poop!
1: scoop So for our mini-segment, we're going to go around the horn here and talk about... Um, well, we're going to do a little bit of a, a pandemic check-in in, in segment three and talk about everything that's going on in our, our worlds and what we're watching. But thinking about... Um, I feel like even in the last week, since we talked about Tenet, um was removed from the release calendar, it's back on the release calendar for after Labor Day, maybe, but it might open in Europe and Asia beforehand, and uh, Mulan's off the calendar, and the state of the world is uh, in constant flux. Uh, no no surprise there. Um, I guess what I'm really thinking about is if, we're, if we don't mind doing outlandish predictions of what movies will be like at the Oscars in a year sometimes, can I get you to do outlandish predictions about what movies look like in 2021? When the dust settles maybe kind of who knows when the dust settles then 2021 is probably wrong let's do 2022 let's say say that like maybe we're past this thing in a significant way and as currently movie theaters are flailing in the production world who knows what's going to happen we they keep announcing new movies every time a big like ryan reynolds to make another movie with netflix and i'm just like when how uh i was at paying attention to comic-con this weekend um, watching the panel for the boys a show i really like i hope we talk about season two when it comes around uh in september but uh, they announced they got an early green light from amazon let's do season three and seth rogan I mean, popped he- onto the panel but wait seth rogan popped on the panel and he was like i don't know when the hell we're gonna shoot it But yeah, technically, we got a season three. Um, And I find that whole attitude frank and and refreshing, because really, when does this stuff happen?
2: I just think, you know, if the NFL, not the NFL,
1: if the NHL
2: and the NBA can create these bubbles where the players are going to live, and we have yet to see if that works out successfully. But so far, you know, baseball seems like it's uh, it's already having problems with the teams flying around. And uh, none, not a single player who's playing in the NHL tested positive in the most recent round of okay. testing as they enter the bubble. And so it already
1: seems like that plan is I mean, at least. Well, baseball just fucked and the NBA. Right. I mean, it's really, bubble all the time. So we'll see. It, but I, and it really, I think it has right. to be
2: perfect or nothing, right? Because yes. it only takes a couple of cases for everything to spider on control, <laughs> which is why I'm still, which I think you about could hockey.
1: do on like a Marvel movie but not right. most things aren't a big ass marvel movie where you take over an entire city and live in Georgia at the production facility the whole time
2: yeah i mean it may
1: it may affect
2: the kinds of things that are able to go into production in your future but it doesn't seem impossible to me i mean it's it's a weird combination where you have to have the resources to bubble off yeah. uh, well, so people, and it, what the leagues have at their disposal is not readily available to any question companies and then also a script that allows you to work in a consolidated way
1: here's my here's my 2022 prediction because i was talking to someone this weekend who works in reality tv and dave you might have thoughts here too um you know she they are going forward with a lot of shoots they are able to still shoot in around the country in different places and make reality TV. So my prediction for 2022 is just a, a reality boom that we kind of got even after like 9/11 too. I feel like the early 2000s were full of reality TV and re- and and like era defining reality TV. I think what's spooky about reality tv is some companies are helping productions and some are not um so what i've learned from my friend is that they have shows shooting for like a discovery channel and discovery is a huge entity but discovery doesn't want to help like they they get their shows from production companies so they're saying hey production companies Figure it out. Make sure no one gets COVID on your shoots, um, but k- keep shooting and making the shows for us. But we're, we're not here to help you. That's your job to like figure out how to make sure no one gets COVID on your reality show. Even though your talent is constantly living their lives and who knows what they're doing, and your crew is doing the same thing. And then you have something like Warner Brothers, um, which apparently in the television world is really they—they they have like a crack team of people at the studio who are now facilitating shoots and like making sure David, what you're saying is happening on a smaller scale where like people need to be bubbled and people need to be in quarantine and testing people when they show up to sets and that sort of thing, even in reality. So reality is just moving swiftly. And I feel like we're going to get tons of these really disposable, like reality show about anyone, anything put it into production. And then you have people like Dave who, you know, you you make a television show happen from the comfort of your own home. Not to talk too much I around.
0: do. It's, thus far, it's been weird, I guess, to pivot off the reality show thing. I don't know if this is a prediction or moving in the direction you wanted it to. But we're working on a current season, a lot of which was shot before uh, the quarantine and the pandemic hit. And so we're kind of like building up to that. And so it's going to be odd because the reality shows that come back first are going to actually be stuff that's been shot when like everything was normal. So it's been weird just spending my day watching people going about their business. Be like, I'm going to go to the hair salon, do this and this and be like, Oh man, remember when you could just decide I, to do that? I um, watched a movie
2: today. That's a very quick aside. I watched a movie today that was supposed to premiere at can that's set at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Which they very convincingly, uh, created in the film. Oh my God. I would imagine shot last year. Um, and it's so surreal to watch because they do such a good job. They
1: need like a title card staging it in an alternate universe. Yeah.
2: It's, it's wild. Um, and they like, they, they filmed in Tokyo and they used the mascots and they had all the, they created, it's about a swimmer and they had all of the, judges you would expect that all the japanese translations piped around the arena I mean, it really Gosh. feels like the games are happening this bizarre and anyway, reminding
1: it's me that um, the olympics are supposed to happen next year yeah that'll be that'll be interesting i guess everyone but the united states will show up
0: yeah we get far <laughs> right. from the olympics yeah. well, i, I, I learned our lesson there
2: i have very little doubt that the olympics will happen i, I think that uh you know if, if they can even try to have a NHL oh, and yeah. NBA playoffs right now. The Olympics will,
1: will be fine. Uh, yeah, Americans may not be invited.
0: <laughs> All right, Pat Patches, pose a question to make this a segment.
1: I thought I did. Well, Dave, so how do you think that um, what we'll be watching in 2022 will w- radically be different or, or will it not like can everything go back to normal i guess or uh, what do you think is going to be the significant change to what we're watching in
0: 2022 uh i think if i'm gonna do shoot for the moon and be super radical here we're going to see a change in um how things are shot and edited that we haven't seen since probably what people would call like the mtv generation um because the technology exists now. If uh, somebody like uh, wanted to sh- make another Mar if Marvel wanted to make another movie, uh, the technology exists now to shoot all the actors separately in their own little bubbles and never have them talk to each other. Uh, the same way that, you know, like Avatar 2 doesn't, isn't going to need any sets and any sort of like makeup. The technology has existed and is down to like the consumer level where you have a whole bunch of technicians and editors who are capable of basically taking multiple takes of shit and slamming it into something. Um What that used to be was making sure that, you know, you had a motion tracked camera or that you shot with, like, similar lighting. Uh, now what's going to happen is people are going to need to salvage movies, shoot movies differently, or work with footage that they already have To the degree that things are just going to start looking different. For example, if you broadcast, you know, if you shoot, broadcast or project your movie in 2K, but you all your footage is 4K, you have that little box you can move around your footage to create artificial camera movements, to redo your framing, to make it look like a traditionally shot thing. Right now those sorts of things are really obvious when they're used in television and occasionally in movies, but even those technologies are getting better. So now that the 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 industry is going to be forced to get really good at making bad things look better through like post-production processes, and I think now is we actually have the technology mm-hmm. to do that and it might change just the way Lord of the Rings changed what you think about when you think about like an assault on a fortress. Or a crowd like shot. render man, yeah, or whatever yeah, exactly.
1: That program was called. We're
0: gonna come through like another technological break where things will just start looking different. The like Unreal engine teamwork. has something
1: to do with this. I, I, oh, you're I'm talking about live live how. ray tracing? Yeah, and just like how they're using Unreal to both virtually stage shots, and then how they use it on Mandalorian and in backgrounds and that sort of thing. Um, I feel like video game technology and engines will end up being.
2: Well, let's not talk oh, about geez. video games though, Katie. Okay, I don't want
1: to feel left out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, oh, I, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, David. I I, I was just going to say I'm going to take the under on this mini segment as we wrap Do it it. up and say that I uh, and you know this may become my very own version of Matt Patches. We'll play this again. <laughs> yeah, Matt Matt Patches <laughs> needs to eat a shoe when Top Gun Two comes out, and he got a last minute stay from the uh, yeah
1: from the governor down. of
2: Hollywood. <laughs> I really don't want to eat a
1: shoe during coronavirus. <laughs> <But I'm- laughs> um, I wear my mask for that.
2: I, uh, <laughs> I, I feel I'm going to take the under on how disruptive this is all going to be. Um, obviously, I mean, not. I my feeling is obviously this is going to go on for a while, and it's been in America, especially because we are incompetent and don't really deserve to continue to exist as a country. But uh, I think once the pandemic is. Over in whatever capacity it can be over and for whatever that ends up meaning in terms of a vaccine being available. Um, I suspect that and the entertainment industry will go back to normal or as we remember it faster than most people anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that there, the people just want to get back to some sort of semblance of that. I could be wildly wrong and that it's also sort of wishful thinking, not that. In the abstract as a normal I want to go back to, but just in terms of how we think about certain things, certainly how we think about theatrical distribution, I think, um, all of those things are going to revert to, uh, the, the norm. You know, it's, it's really easy right now when everything is haywire to speculate that, you know, every time that tenant pushes its release date or, you know, the rental racks up sales, the rental racks up rentals, On iTunes, whatever, that it's a paradigm shift that can never be undone for distribution. And I think that's a great way of, uh, driving clicks and keeping the conversation going and having. Driving
1: clicks. Wow. Are you my,
2: no, I don't know. I I mean, uncle. (laughs) No, but it's, it's, it's the conversation I have right now. And I totally understand the impulse. And I think, uh, it is worth asking these questions, but I am not quite as willing to catastrophize about that. It's not the industry as I am about. I don't know every facet of my own life. Um, but
1: uh, I think I think. Well, the, we'll see. The good news uh, is uh, today I watched a trailer for a new Freeform show called Love in the Time of Corona. And it has been shot during quarantine. Leslie Odom Jr. and his wife, Nicolette Robinson, both actress, actors, uh, they're a real-life couple. And they are the stars of the show. They shot it together in quarantine and it is going to air on Freeform. And it looks like a real television show. So I guess speaking to Ooh. what David said, if you if if you just get actor couples, they can make TV <laughs> together. This is the key. Everyone just needs to get together. Well, we will Free have to love, talk about,
2: we will have to talk about how they present the NHL games in an upcoming episode because it's gonna be really interesting.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, in and uh, let's of, let's talk uh, about we'll all there. the fun discussions all the unions are gonna have to have about how mm-hmm. many people Ritty. need to be on set at any point.
1: Gritty wears a mask.
0: Gritty does wear a mask. Let's switch segments. Yes.
2: Whoopee do scoop. Scoop dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop dee poop. Poop
0: dee scoop dee scoop dee whoop. Whoopee dee scoop whoop poop. It's time for another generic pandemic check
1: in. (inaudible) This
0: this isn't our 20th because we don't do one every week, but it sure feels like our 20th because it's still going on. Um, (laughs)
1: Time is flying now. Summer's almost over. Oh, I mean, that part,
0: I mean, in the sense that like March lasted forever (laughs) and then everything else is just blurred together. Wake me up. When September, now that's an album. That's that, that, that is an I album. Guess. That's an
2: album. That's a. Are they going to make a Broadway adaptation of Taylor Swift's folklore? I'd be there if Broadway ever reopens. Wait, I'd probably have a lot more dire opinions about that. David, you should.
1: No, there will be. It's TV. probably going to be an HBO Max visual album <laughs> at some point.
0: You could, David, you could write that on your vacation. Yeah, you have all that extra time
1: to go.
2: Oh, sure, sure. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: so Dave, what did you doing? What's how's your pandemic going? What are you doing?
0: Uh, it's been going okay. I upgraded my technology, so I've been playing around with all my fun programs. But that's not really fun to talk about. Uh, in terms of like media, I uh, listen to the Audible Sandman audio drama. Oh, uh, which is good. I think Sandman really uh lends itself to audio dramas because. You know, each issue kind of tells a complete enough story that you could kind of dip in for 30 minutes. And wait, which to- which Sandman movie are we talking about? It's, so, it's an audio drama of the first 20 issues of the comic book with James wait, McAvoy. Wait, as of, of like, Grown Ups?
2: The like, they made a comic book out of Grown Ups? Or was it the... the
1: what the Zocans? hell are you talking about? You're We're
0: talking, talking about Sandman, Sandman right? like Adam Sandler, whereas... We're oh, talking uh, about nah. the comic Sandman. Jesus,
1: It was very fun. Vacation. It took me a
0: second. <laughs> I can't wait. Let me out of here. <laughs> it was It was the grown-ups thing. Sandy Wexler I like, sequel. Ah, I got it.
2: <laughs> I um, made a Sandy Wexler joke in my Ant-Man, Ant-Man, fuck, Ant-Kind article that I filed today. We'll that's how, how you know it's too dramatic. many words. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was uh, nice. It's like, I don't know, 10, ten hours, I want to say, something like that. Uh, full audio production, very enjoyable. Has all the problems that Sandman has, but maybe less because this one has been updated, not updated, but the portrayals because they don't have to be drawn uh, are somewhat less uh, racially tinged for me. If you have a- actors of African descent reading the African story and not me reading a white man's African story penciled and drawn by white men, it feels better, just in the moment. So that was a nice way to revisit Sandman. Uh, I, I would like them to see. I would like to see them do the rest, uh, but because of what I was saying before, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be driven back to do a reread of all of Sandman because of this audio book. How,
1: how do they capture the the visual quality? of the comic book in audio form. Do you feel like they make up for that somehow or is it, there's there, there's an, I mean, Gaiman is narrating it, right? Yes.
0: So Neil Gaiman narrates it. And, um, I wouldn't say they even the, the nice thing is they don't attempt to capture the visual quality. They kind of allow it in some ways it's better because they allow it to be as vague as Neil Gaiman's description of it. You know, his eyes were, Black pools with single stars floating in it is much more evocative than seeing an ink splot with some white ink uh, thrown in it. And the other thing that they really uh, lean on and that James McAvoy is really great for is they bring out performance in the lines And because a comic book only could, like, deal with, like, fonts and whatnot, there were suggestions. Especially with the Endless in the comic books, they each have a different, like, font for their word bubbles. But still word bubbles, so you're still doing tone in your mind. Meanwhile, James McAvoy's like, I'm going to do the entirety of Split in every single one of these lines. And so his voice is pitching up and down, and he has, like, weird doubt, and then he's very assertive. So seeing it performed and hearing it read is actually a completely different experience than reading it as a comic book. And I like that the two aren't trying to emulate each other, really. If you want to see it, the comic book exists. But if you want to, like, hear uh, the study the stutter of Abel, instead of reading, like, a whole bunch of words with dashes in it, the audiobook is there, and that <laughs> actually makes the character more enjoyable, I think. uh, but, that's awesome. Yeah, I did that. that's what I'm going to contribute, because otherwise I did boring boring things.
1: You played video games.
0: I played some video games. I'm still doing Paper Mario. I'll get there. I'll get to the end of there.
1: I'm still doing that too. Are, you, Where are, are you guys both
2: still miserable doing it?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Kind
1: of the puzzles are just so hard. They give you 30 seconds to solve something that I don't I I just feel it's so It's a game about. for children, that. It's not, it doesn't, I don't think it's a game for children. It's a game for very smart children. The, uh, <laughs> Eleanor
0: beat
2: it last
1: week. You told Actually, no, that's probably true.
0: And now I'm just buying, I'm spending like so much time buying new shiny weapons because if you don't line them up properly, you don't get the <gasps> bonus and it's going to take like a whole other round unless you have like really badass weapons.
1: Look, I don't want this segment to go so long, but detour here. Did I bring um, up my um, my adventure time? theory to you on the last podcast no okay let me throw this out here david just mute yourself yeah, you, have co- you have nothing to I'm contribute going to. on a walk let me throw this out here adventure time maps directly to the to the mushroom kingdom and i've never seen it as a as a like a one for one until playing paper mario but like is adventure time actually super mario inverted for weird apocalyptic settings you got you got princess you got princess bubblegum she's like peach peach and has all her minions like the toads are all the different candy people you have finn who is super mario you have jake who is luigi you have the ice king who's bowser plus he has minions and then you have all these other random characters who were kind of thrown into the mythology over time as extensions of either Sa evil or good
0: what do you think dave I mean, I don't think. Okay. I th- surely, there's an interview. Some- <laughs> I mean, surely there's an interview somewhere where somebody just says that, like Pendleton Ward just says that, right? Well, after a brief uh, Google rabbit
1: hole, I-, I wasn't able to find anything, but I'm sure our intrepid listeners can. And David we- has now wilted into. <laughs> Are there other uh, Pendletons dead. in the world? Is that is that
2: a a more common name that I realize, or is it one of those things where like the only Pendleton happened to become?
0: Uh, it's good uh, for no.
1: Google, you
0: know. Is Pendullet's real name Pendleton Gillette?
2: I would. If Penn name were actually Pendleton, he would have to use
1: it as his stage name. I, I would. Do don't you think, think someone what, so capable? Pendleton
0: and Tellerton?
1: <laughs> what came first, Gillette Pens or Penn uh, Gillette Pens. David, how's your uh, <laughs> quarantine going? It, it was it's going pandemic. just fine. What are you doing? about
2: Thirty seconds ago. <laughs> Uh well, my wife and I watched Crimson Tide this weekend, as Ooh, many of wow. did.
1: Now that sounds like um, a Pluto TV uh watch, but where did no, you No we
2: it? we splurge, we spent, we pen I literally Pendleton we Pendleton warded three dollars and ninety nine cents <laughs> on iTunes to watch it. Uh it was between wow. that and of course uh the Hunt for the Red October and we ultimately opted for Crimson Tide because it's about twenty minutes shorter. Um I do think we got the raw end of that deal, which is not to say Crimson Tide is a bad movie. It's an incredibly '90s movie, which I love about it. It's raining sparks at the beginning while the the like temp track for the rock plays in the background. Gene Hackman gives a patriotic speech about whatever the fuck he's talking about. He's like going full MAGA several decades before that was the thing. It's great. Um, um,
1: and, uh, <laughs> that's Denzel. That's Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman, right? Yes, correct. Yes, okay. it's a movie that Denzel Washington. Why did you to watch do it?
2: just so that he could square off against? Gene Hackman. We watched it because in our ongoing series of Elisa catching up with the uh, the 90s and 80s, she's sometimes of the top shelf variety. We watched Aliens last week um, that she missed when she was growing up in a bubble somewhere. And uh, it has been a very the long NBA time bubble, since I've seen... Cra- yeah, I know. I grew up in the NHL bubble. She grew up in the NBA, <laughs> NBA trouble bubble. It was a tale of star-crossed lovers. Fortunately, we found ourselves somewhere... Uh, at the Olympic Games all these years. But, uh, we, so we watched Crimson Tide. We watched it along with some of our friends who we, we text as we go. Uh, fine movie. It's really more of a drama that's masquerading as, as a naval action movie. I mean, the stakes are apocalyptic. Um, but it's really a, a story about deterrence and there's a message cut off about nuclear war and they are arguing, uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea, even though, you know, leagues is uh, not a measure of distance of depth. Um, as to whether or not their orders are to launch nukes against Russia, or uh, if they should surface and reattach the radio equipment and get more information before they proceed. Denzel Washington is on the side of peace and sees war itself as the enemy. And Gene Hackman is more of the hawk who has been chomping on cigars since you were in your mammy's pappy's, whatever the, the people in those movies say. Um, and. Uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's fine stuff. Quentin Tarantino did a very, very transparent polish, um, that was famously the set on which he visited and Denzel Washington rather publicly took him to task for using the N-word in Pulp Fiction, uh, and they later made up privately and Denzel Washington's daughter, I think, was an intern on Django Unchained. Um, but, uh. They, uh, and you got a young Gandolfini, you got Ryan Felipe, who's in about three shots and has two lines, you got Steve Zahn, who gets bonked in the head at the high pressurized.
0: I like that I've I've lived long her. enough to hear Crimson Tide described as more of a drama than an action movie because it, I mean,
2: all that happens is they're like they unloose. A handful of torpedoes in one scene. Well, I mean, really, that's just, just a bunch of men yelling at each other. That just sounds like,
0: you know, like pre uh, Avengers Sky Portal thinking. Like, isn't Wrath of Khan just like two people in, uh, you know, rooms pretending you to maybe, yell at you, each other? I think
2: I agree with your overall point. I think compared to, uh, Hunt for the Red October five years earlier and even u mm. 571 a couple years later, this is still an unusually sedate submarine movie, even compared to something like Run Silent, Run Deep, which is a lot more pulse-pounding in terms of the, the action of it all and not just the uh, pissing contest that's happening on board. Um, but I would say drowning in a submarine or even really just being on a submarine pretty high on my list of things. I'd rather not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you,
1: have you ever been on a submarine?
2: I have. I'm sure I, I, you know, when I was young, you could tour them as as museums. Sure. And I I used to love going to Intrepid as a kid, which is not a submarine, but is,
1: uh, I thought they had a submarine.
2: Next they might. They might. Day. I've definitely been on a submarine, and I think when I was young enough to have not developed all the neuroses that crippled my life as an <laughs> adult, um, you know, back in the days when I used to count the days until I could fly on an airplane, and I would release it at the window, and and want to talk to the pilots, and uh, just got off on every part of the experience, and now I'm just like white-knuckling it. Um, growing up, kids, it's bad. Les Taylor Swift there to hold your hand and guide you into uh, middle age, but... Uh, we watched Crimson Tide. It was perfectly enjoyable. I do look forward to revisiting Hunt for the Red October and seeing how they stack up, even if two and a half hours of Sean Connery doing a Russian accent sounds like uh, a lot to deal with. Um, always nice to see Gene Hacker doing this thing in this movie. What else have I been watching? I have <laughs> caught up with I May Destroy You. We're going to talk about that later.
1: Um, he needs Katie for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, 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 I am continuing you, to watch on Terrace House. Um, I red what did I what am I doing? Oh I've been uh
1: no <laughs> I, I've been playing you've been I've slowly been, descending towards your vacation. I have like, I've been what, spending a lot of i like spending
2: you. a lot of quality time with my son La Swift. I have been playing uh replaying Catherine on my switch, which is a game uh, that I played on the PS3 uh, It's unlike any other video game ever made in a lot of respects. And maybe if I continue going through Catherine Full Body, the Switch Remake, we can talk about it down the road. That should also be a segment we're recording. Katie's here for it. But uh, yeah, mostly I've been eating my Talenti pumpkin pie.
1: I thought it melted that you got more. You got, oh, I got more. He's been
0: scouring I went,
1: yeah. I went out and foraged. I found
2: it in the deepest freezer of my local food,
0: Emporia,
1: <laughs> after I'd cleaned out every other market in the area.
0: Uh, Patches, how about you? What have you been watching?
1: Um. Yeah, well, I I was I was going to say David, I've been thinking about you because I uh I mean last week my my main point was probably lost, which is that I've been thinking a lot about mental health in this uh pandemic moment, and is that uh, I, think, I think you think about and I think of you about when I think health. of mental yeah. health, yeah, I'm like, man, some people are just breaking um <laughs> gotta watch out for that uh but this this week, I was just feeling this kind of anxiety that David you may have felt, I don't know, but or, or if your son is old enough for you to to feel this way yet, but I'm just getting to this point where I, I feel like all we do is we're we're inside we're hanging around in the orbit of our homes and i i just I'm, I'm like worried that i'm coming up for a loss of like activities to do during pandemic quarantine times that make my kid excited and having fun and like getting out there I, i'm feeling this kind of depression of not knowing what to do with our time it'll be like saturday and i'm like we should be going somewhere we should be doing yeah. something um and it just it feels it's really starting to hit me more that i'm just like i can tell time. i can tell that it's having an impact on her like social behavior because will uh like uh, you know we somebody had to a uh, fix it man had to come over and she's my daughter saw this fix it guy and was like terrified just terrified of people we had to go to a doctor a checkout yeah. like her two and a half uh, year appointment and this checkup and she was like having a meltdown because it's like people 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 we never see people anymore as I mentioned like there are not a lot of people in our in, near our home um, and you just don't we don't interact with anyone and so when you don't go yeah. out on the weekends you just aren't developing social skills and now I'm getting like really scared about the kind of mental health side of the pandemic and, and not even for me just for like younger kids and people in development and, and yeah, finding I, I, activities
2: I think especially for kids who are older than Both of our kids, but uh, you definitely, you know, that is not something that I have to deal with with Asa in terms of finding activities for him to do, but, um, because he's only eight months old, but uh, the stranger danger element of it is very real. We have finally cracked, and, um, you know, I think Elise and I really had to confront how impossible it was for either of us to get any work done, Um, and... I finally just cracked and decided to uh, ask a friend of mine who works in the film industry and is out of work at the moment um, if she would want to uh, mm. come over to our apartment and look after Asa two days a week. And figuring that if we had her two days a week and my mom comes one afternoon, um, that would be two and a half.
1: And the days added bonuses that-, that you get to enjoy. Socializing on some level, maybe. Sure. I mean, I I do think think that that this extends to adults.
2: That bit is a little bit negated by the uh, guilt and uh, anxiety of bringing Mm -hmm. somebody into the podcast. I mean, I hired a a friend because A, like they generally want, they genuinely want to spend time with Asa. Uh, I want to see them. It's great that they can give money to them, you know, and not so much, but whatever we can. But at the same time, um, I trust her. I know where she's been. I trust her that she doesn't want to get my the kill and she's going to act responsibly um, and so that's a good fit but at the same time it does feel um, sort of arbitrary if you right. let anybody into that bubble um, but uh, the stranger danger is so real I mean it was real uh, from the beginning but seeing Asa you know, my mom who comes in once a week and FaceTimes Asa which is not the same as other as with kids no. in the same way that kids can't learn uh, languages when their minds are spongy from hearing other people speak on television it needs to be in their sort of uh, field of, of uh, where they are. but um, you know, getting over Ace of stranger danger has been really intense. Um, I don't think it's a permanent thing. I, I
1: no. don't
2: I don't you know, I'm not fucking Oliver Sacks over here, but I feel like uh, that sort of social experience when you're eight months old is not necessarily gonna translate to when you're eight years old. Um, but it is really intense, and I think the hardest part of getting that babysitting situation up and running here is going to be slowly chipping away at the change danger over the course of the right. first couple weeks.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm just feeling depressed and feeling that anxiety, and I think, I, I worry that the stranger danger, the social anxiety will extend to to those of us who are more and more developed. I, I do worry about that too. I just don't know how we cope with that. I guess, I mean, Zoom is just not a replacement, um, and hopefully things like this podcast maybe, where we're just shooting the shit and talking and not so rigid and so corporate, and maybe we're just letting people, clearly people are invited to take uh, part in our conversations based on my Twitter at replies, uh, so and I enjoy them. So, <laughs> and I invite, we're gonna have another. I invite uh,
2: we're gonna have another call-in episode soon.
1: We should just for our own mental health. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess David said it, so it's happening. <laughs> um, anyway, what what did I watch? I've been watching um, The Great on Hulu, which oh, I've been recommend. trying to get Elisa
2: to watch that and for whatever reason. She's oh, like,
1: what a hoot! It's really it's, fun. I thought it would be kind of stuffy, and I should have known that Tony McNamara, who who wrote um, the the favorite, uh, he adapted this from a play and is based on Catherine the Great and that moment in Russian history. But it it's is so it's a little contemporary house, though. It, 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 it is. I mean, you, you have to go it's, there's pomp and circumstance. It's also extremely gory and uh, Nicholas Hoult is having the time of his life being the biggest asshole uh, just ruining people's lives, murdering people. There's smallpox breakouts. There's, they're staging a coup. I mean, it is you know uh, not courtroom drama, whatever. Um, it's, it's a romp. It's really, really fun. It's too long. It's like 10 episodes long hour-long episodes but the music in the production and everything is pristine uh everyone's having a lot of fun i don't know we enjoyed watching it as something that didn't seem too intense and too dramatic um, but it does get very like gory and gross and it's quite horrific what uh, peter Third does to his people so if you can stomach that dark humor then this might be for you i'm, I'm on a real dark humor streak i also watched ghost world again Ooh. this week um when was the last time you watched ghost world i think i watch it maybe uh, i watch it every morning
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> just <laughs> to set the tone for the space. day yeah yeah um yeah ghost world directed by terry zwigoff who would do bad santa and it's adapted from uh, daniel clow's graphic novel which i've never read and I, I i'm i'm meaning to pick it up because apparently it's very different from the movie i didn't realize that um that uh, Steve Buscemi's character, who obviously plays a huge part in Ghost World, is not a big character in the book. Um, it's really kind of a twofer between uh, Enid, who in the movie is played by Thor Birch, and Rebecca, who's played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, and my my memory of the movie was kind of like, oh, is it, this is like a Daria movie or something, where they the <laughs> two friends go around and they like jerk people around and then they get caught up with this older man and stuff happens and whatever. My God, the movie is really... Dark and it's about it's very much focused on Thor, B- Thor Birch's Enid character um, Scarlett Johansson not a real big player in this movie it's not a twofer at it all it's about her being too punk and too lost and listless and um and being so ironic that she is weaponized and toxic to, and ready to destroy Steve Buscemi's character Seymour's life. Um, but Seymour is also this middle-aged man who maybe got caught up in nostalgia or pushing back against capitalist society too. And now he has no life and maybe they can build a friendship out of what they have, but not really. Cause it's a, a, just a, just a tragedy. What happens in the final act of this movie? Everyone ruins their lives. It's, it's really startling to see young women, um, positioned in like making big choices and figuring out their life, just young people. I don't know. I, I haven't seen a teen film taking life as, as frankly, as Ghost World does, while also being so funny. I mean, it's like it's like Simpsons level background humor, weird gags, caricature characters. It's this is definitely doing Napoleon Dynamite the right way before Napoleon Dynamite. Um, I really, really enjoyed rewatching Ghost World, and it's streaming on Amazon. If you uh, want to check it out again, I highly recommend it. And that made me happy, even though it's dark as hell and, and about people and about the Gen X dream flaming out. Everyone wants to be a punk. It's actually probably a really good movie for this time where we all feel really angry and we all want to punk people who are assholes. Um, but wondering if we maybe get caught up too much in that vortex and lose the point of our lives. Uh, that's certainly what happens to Enid in the movie. It's really, really, really sad. Uh and it doesn't surprise me. Well, I don't want to spoil the ending if people haven't seen it, but there's a lot of conversation about the final scenes of the movie that Zwigoff and, and Klaus have been like, "Wait, what? You read that into the movie?" Um, but a total the read of that like a, a kind of magical realist <laughs> touch to the ending of can, Ghost World makes perfect sense.
2: Can I close out this segment with a bit of breaking news? That you can, you Daniel. Close good. it out. Yeah. Gro- oh, perfect. <laughs> Pat, geez, what a beautiful alley-oop. Uh In breaking news relevant to this episode. It's just been brought to my attention that the photos in the liner notes for Taylor Swift's album Folklore all sync up to shots from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Shut up!
1: She's God <laughs> <Shut laughs> damn uh, Taylor. You know, working with the National, doing if a If you play the album backwards on Spotify, it's it's begging Taylor to get Taylor Swift Taylor's is mansion. like
2: one one photo shoot in a New York Rangers jersey away from a, a perfect Yahtzee of my interest.
1: There's a secret track on the album that's just reading David's letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I don't
2: know if that would be quite the turn on you are imagining it would be, but we'll see.
1: Vintage brand new phone, That does it for this week's fighting in the war room. We'll be back next week i don't know if with katie or not she didn't really she kind of just disappeared and didn't tell us what got on vacation so maybe she'll be back <laughs> yeah she's just on vacation it's almost like showing up to the the store you always go to and they just have a sign that says be back in like two weeks <laughs> um katie we miss you if you're listening to the podcast probably not but um come back soon we don't know when you're coming back anyway why don't we tell people who we are on the podcast um not starting, starting with david since i did this part
2: uh Hi, I am David Ehrlich. I am the senior singer for IndieWire. You may or may not be able to read uh, my, me breakdown in real time, uh, as I read by Charlie Kaufman's Antkind on the site this week. Uh, you can find all of us on iTunes. Fighting in the War Room, please leave us a review. We'll read it for for better or for richer or till death do us all part on iTunes. Fighting in the War Room at the start of the episode iTunes, fighting in the war room see ya
0: uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez, you can find me on Twitter at DA70, there's no way Katie, even if she started listening to this episode, got through the poop review, I'm just gonna guess mm. I'm gonna guess that's where she it uh, off, uh, you can also hear me on a podcast called The Storm a Lost Rewatch podcast we're in the middle of season 3 things are going great uh, we're back to good episodes again check us out, The Storm a Lost Rewatch podcast
1: and I'm Matt Patches. I love poop. I love it when a nice little piece of poo comes out of my butt and into my hand, and then I put a little pee on the poo and put the poo into a poo bag for my poo collection. It's the only thing I own. It's the only thing I value. Yum yum yum. I love to eat the poo. And then poop the poo into my left hand. Pee pee poo poo. Pee pee poo poo. Penis vagina. Nine eleven. Nine eleven. John Kerry is my favorite. I'm gonna send fish.
2: this to Eleanor when she's like four. <laughs> and kill her.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? She'll be making the same gags. Kids love this shit. Uh, and we're on the uh, fightingtheworm.com. And that's that does it for this week's uh, fighting the worm. What's our what's our lightning round question? Which you can answer on Twitter. We'll retweet you or something. Or you can answer it on fightingtheworm.com. Whatever. Yeah, if you whoever. answer you it on answer Twitter, on you could definitely
0: tweet at fitwr with the answer too. In the honor of kissing booth two, what Netflix movie deserves a sequel? We'll be back again next week. Like water.
1: I-